Anyway, to get more insight on that and obviously uh, all that's going on with the locals, the Mets, and the Yanks, we welcome in former Mets GM Steve Phillips. You could hear him on MLB Radio, Sirius XM. Steve, thanks for a couple minutes. Let's get right into it. Uh, give me the update with the Osuna. Well, not the update, but the latest with Roberto Osuna. I've been following your tweets on it, and you can follow Steve at Steve Phillips GM on Twitter. Um, are you surprised with the package the Blue Jays got in return for trading Roberto Osuna, who's had these issues with domestic violence? Well, I, never in my wildest dreams would I have thought this could be the return that they were getting. I mean, think about this. Osuna's in the midst of a 75-game suspension for domestic violence. We don't know exactly what he did, but we know that he approved and accepted, without an appeal, a 75-game suspension for what he did, whatever that was. Uh, and so he's in the midst of serving that. He's eligible to come off and pitch on August 5th. The Blue Jays looked at it and said his court case isn't resolved yet. His next hearing is Wednesday, August 1st, uh, which is after the trade deadline. And they looked at it and said the likelihood is that this is not going to be resolved by August 5th. And it feels like bad form to have him come back and pitch in a game while there's a domestic violence, a domestic assault case against him pending in the courts. And so they, I think ownership ended up saying, listen, let's cut our losses on this, get what we can, but it doesn't feel right to have him pitch. And, you know, and I understood that. Like, for a lot of times, I think people are open to redemption stories. They're open to second chances. And, look, I've been given them, and I'm grateful for them. But sometimes that second chance is better served in a different location. Uh, and so, you know, I think they decided, let's see what we can get if we can at least cut our losses. I talked to a number of executives who said, yeah, there's no chance we're touching this. We're, we're not taking Osuna. Uh, not knowing the situation, not knowing the circumstance, not knowing if he's going to be found guilty. Uh, there's no settlement in this yet. Uh, and so the Astros did what desperate people do that lose out on Alex Colome, that lose out on Calvin Herrera, that lose out on Zach Britton, that lose out on Jerris Familia. They make a deal for the next best guy who's 23, big arm, but he's got warts. He's got a major wart with this court case pending. Uh, and so, you know, but it's a pretty desperate move because he may not be able to pitch for them at all. If he ends up with a conviction of some sort, it will affect his visa status, his immigration status, his ability to travel, his ability to be a real problem. I thought the best deal the Blue Jays might be able to make is maybe they do it for a player to be named later, and then then based upon the result of his court case and how much he might pitch for the Astros, maybe they get this prospect, and if he pitches more, he gets that prospect, and he gets this prospect if if it's full time. Uh, but instead, they get a replacement for Osuna, kind of your problem for my problem, and Ken Giles, who's got big closer stuff, uh, just you know, prone to the emotional blow-up and, and, uh, and breakdown. But he's got closer stuff. He's pitching a World Series in two years of control, and they get two prospects. I thought the, the Blue Jays did a great job, and for the Astros, they did what a lot of teams wouldn't do, and we'll see whether or not it works. Boy, that is a big-time risk, Steve. And he would be, let's just say that he's not uh, getting in trouble here with the law. He is eligible to pitch in the postseason, so I understand the lore of that. But that's a big chance taking uh, a guy who's going through the ongoing court stuff. And to your point, if a lot of GMs or teams around the league weren't, or executives around the league weren't interested in taking a chance on Osuna, then how the heck did the Blue Jays get so much back for him? Yeah, I don't know. I got that, that's the desperation piece in this. I think that's when you lose out, and the Astros are looking at it saying, we've got a problem at the end of the game. We've got nowhere else to go. Rossi Iglesias isn't available. 
And what I wonder is why didn't they just overpay for one of the other guys where at least you've got some predictability because for Osuna, the risk is he doesn't pitch for you at all. Uh, and you're in the same position you were, and you just gave up three pitching prospects uh, in the deal. Now, I understand that Giles had worn out his welcome, and he didn't fit for them. And so he was a chip in some way. But I still think that, that from the Blue Jays' perspective, there's no way they could have imagined getting this kind of return. And, you know, listen, David Paulino is their 23rd best prospect. He's got a good arm, pitching at AAA, got a little time in the big league. Uh, and then the Hector Perez kid uh, pitching at AA, he's got swing and miss stuff, their 10th best prospect. And so, really nice return. Uh, when you, and, and it makes you sit and wonder, tell me again why the Mets traded Familia when they did. Well, why I, did it? it, just, it that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, well, that leads me to my next question. We're talking with Steve Phillips, former Mets GM, currently MLB Network Radio. I mean, Steve, at the time, now I don't know enough about these prospects. It's not my job to analyze all these systems. What I do know, though, is that usually, you know, nobody knows what the prospects, even the guys whose job it is to analyze these prospects, it's hit or miss. So the Mets get some international money back. They get a couple of prospects, whatever. And they were getting raked over the coals. I get it. Nobody trusts them. But then I see Britain get dealt from the Orioles to the Yankees, and they get two top 15 guys and another. Now I see the Osuna stuff. Uh, how is it possible that the Mets get such what seems to be a feeble return for Familia when everybody else is getting an arm and a leg for these relievers? Yeah, here's the thing. Like, the return that the Mets got are functional pieces. That's not really the issue. And, and even if they turn out, you know, where you know, the prospects they get that are great and they get the money freed up and they go buy an international player that turns out great, it's still, in my mind, the end doesn't justify the means. The issue is what is the process? Right? You know, you hear players talk about it all the time. I don't, I don't worry about the result. I worry about the process. I have to do the right thing. And so it wasn't hard to do the math on the closers market and understand that, that once Zach Britton went, that Familia would have been the next go-to option as a big arm at the end of the game. Now, some people might use him as a setup guy. Some people might use him as a closer. And if the Astros didn't get Zach Britton, then they had to go somewhere else. And it seems to me that Familia would have been a great option for them to go to. Like, he would have been the guy. Like, in the Cubs, at the end of the game, I think still have some issues there. Uh, I thought maybe the Cubs would jump in on that as well. The Dodgers are desperate for an eighth-inning guy right now. Uh, and I just thought that they might have been able, by being a bit more patient, uh, and look, we'll never know, uh, but my experience is that that – that waiting would have created more of an urgency in the market and that he would have, within the supply and demand scale that's out there, you know, he was plan B to Zach Britton for everybody. Uh, and when you take plan B out of the mix, then plan A gets paid more because there's no reasonable alternative. So the price for Britain goes up because Familia is off the board. When if you hold Familia, Britain goes for whatever that value is, and then everybody changes their attention to, to Jarrett's Familia, and that's where they can drum up some, some better value. I think the deal they got may not be bad, but I think that deal would have been there now just as it was there you know, 10 days ago. Right, so it leads me to why and how. I mean, I, I, look, I know that it's three guys. Maybe that's the issue, but you do have an experienced guy in Richardi and certainly in Omar Minaya. Was it that they valued the international money and they weren't going to get that somewhere else? Was it that they valued those particular guys in Oakland that they were feeling that that's better than anything else? Or was it that let's do this now in case we go you know, throw familiar out there and start to get lit up here in the next couple of games or maybe gets hurt 
start again? I mean, is it a combination as a, as a GM, Steve? Take me through that process of how and why would they do that? Because I have to assume that they know what we would assume that the closer you get to the deadline, more desperate teams come. Usually they overpay. Yeah. I, so it's hard to know what the dynamic is right now uh, in the front office. Uh, you've got three guys that I respect immensely. Uh, great respect for John Rico, one of the finest, nicest gentlemen in the game, very smart guy, quality administrator and, and an organizer, and a guy who really has a great feel for order and process in a lot of ways. Uh, Ricciardi is an outstanding talent evaluator. He's a good communicator. Uh, Omar Manaya, one of the best evaluators. He's a, a buddy and a guy that I've got great respect for, one of my former assistants. So, I mean, these guys are guys I, I have tremendous respect for all three of them. I don't know the guiding process right now as to how it's working, whether ownership is guiding and playing the sort of role of coordinator or quarterback, you know, trying to say, okay, you gather that information, or you guys, you gather all the information, come back to me. Uh, and it seems to me that, that where they got to was they tried to do some calculation about what would be a fair return for Familia. Uh, and, and that's a good calculation, too. Like, what is it that we can expect? But settling for that, rather than letting the market dictate that, and the order in which they did it is where there's some flaw in the process, and I don't know whether that's ownership-driven, where everything's being coordinated and then being run back through to Fred and Jeff, or whether the baseball guys are making the decisions with John Rico. That part's really unclear. Uh, and so, look, they, they may end up getting just a fine return, and, and it may be better than any other deal they could have gotten in any players if they had waited. That, that, to me, is not really the issue. The issue is just timing and process and what's the right way to do it. It just seems to me, and, and most of the people that I've talked to, executives in the game, that waiting would have provided them a, a, a greater sense of urgency in any deal. Interesting. I wonder if Sandy Alderson was still in charge, if the reaction would be the same. I mean, I know, like you said, there's well-respected men, the three of them, but the fact that now there's no Alderson, is not one guy, certainly not people that maybe you trust the process or trust how they're going about things here, maybe that leaves them more open to being critiqued. So I'm sure that that had a thing, too. Which, Steve, it leads me to then this. I mean, what do they do with Zach Wheeler? I want to trade him. I don't think his value will ever be as good as it is right now. Uh, so twofold. One, how would you handle it? And two, I guess, would you trust these three guys to do the right thing with making a move with Zach Wheeler here? Yeah, so, so here's the thing. I think the timing of a Wheeler trade, it's, it's, you know, he's falling in the pecking order of the pitchers who are out there. So they're not jumping the gun on this. I think they're in line with it. Here's the biggest question I have. And, and this is the, what the, the, the first question they have to ask is, what are we next year? Are, what are we doing next year? Are we trying to win or are we rebuilding? Because I think you have to answer that question first. Uh, and then you make a decision because if you're going to keep Syndergaard and DeGrom, which all we know right now is that they probably aren't trading them at the deadline. But if you're going to keep Syndergaard and DeGrom for next season, then why in God's name would you trade Zach Wheeler? It makes zero sense to me why you trade him. Here's why. Yes, you're right. His value's as good as it's ever been right now. But if you're going to play with Syndergaard and DeGrom next season as your one and two starter, then you need a number three. 
Okay, and that number three for me among their pitchers now would be Zach Wheeler. If you trade him, then you're going to have to go out and buy a number three starter, and that's money that should be going to the first baseman that you need, to the second baseman that you need, to the catchers that you need, and to the closer that you need. So if you feel like you're going to compete next year, then you can't trade Zach Wheeler because you need to free up free agent dollars not to sign another number three starter and have some prospect in your organization you've got for Wheeler because that number three starter you're going to buy takes away the money you need to add for your offense. Well, what about now, Steve? What about going with Steve and Matt? And the Mets have, you know, according to some reports, I guess Buster only reported that they're not going to trade Syndergaard and DeGrom like you mentioned by the deadline, and they want to contend next year, which also, then he said, it's unlikely that Wheeler will move. I'm of the thought process. I want to contend next year, but I want some balance. And if I can get a position player prospect back for Wheeler, I'm okay with going into next year with DeGrom, Syndergaard, Matt, maybe move Lugo to a starter. Right. And if I had to live with Vargas as a fifth starter, I could deal with that if you're well balanced everywhere else. So yeah, what are you going to get for Wheeler? You're going to get you're not going to get an impact player for Wheeler. You're going to get a second tier prospect for him and maybe a third tier prospect. That's all. Well, how did they how, get a, a starting everyday player for a guy that even though for, for a guy with one year of control who's pitched to a four plus ERA in his career? And yeah, he's been better over his last eleven starts with a three two, but but He's not a predictable answer for somebody. He's depth and inventory that at the number four, number five position, that's what they're trading for is a number four starter for them that you're hoping maybe could be your number three next year. And and the problem is this. You can make match your number three, then you're going to have to buy a number four. And it's going to cost you any amount of money that you pay for a starting pitcher next year is money you can't spend. So what do you need? Do you need to spend money – uh, on, a, on a number four starter, or do you need to spend money on a first baseman, second baseman, catcher, and closer? Because you've got four needs. And if, if you're going to trade Wheeler and make a fifth need for your team for next year, there's no chance the Mets have enough money for that. Now, what it tells me is this, that because that's the way I look at it, is that if you're trading Wheeler, then you're trading away your number three starter for next year, and it doesn't make any sense to me because – you're, you're going to eat up the money you're going to spend at the position players. So what it tells me is that they're going to trade Syndergaard to Grom in the offseason. That now is not the time to trade them, and I agree it's not. Because if you're going to trade them, you're going to want to get major league players in return. right? Rookies, guys that have been up and down a little bit, but players who might be part of a team trying to compete right now, and they don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul because they can't go and replace Peter. Uh, if they if they give you the pitching and they give you position players for the pitchers, they don't have anywhere to go. You know, they don't want to weaken their major league team right now. They just want to add to it. Uh, and so the better time to trade Syndergaard to Grom is the offseason. And honestly, when I hear the potential trade of Wheeler now, which there's no sense to wait till the offseason because you're going to get the same thing in the offseason as you're going to get right now, second-tier prospect, Maybe a third-tier guy with him. That's you know, all you're going to get. You know, that's how, a blue-chip prospect. How's that possible, Steve, when Jay Happ gets you Drury, who could be a very serviceable major leaguer with yeah, potential, Drury, and a minor leaguer? Drury, yeah, yeah. Drury's a serviceable guy, but he's a 7-8-9 hitter on a good team. Uh, he Maybe he's a second baseman. He's a guy that doesn't profile at third base. He's probably more of a second baseman. He's you know He did hit 30-some doubles and double-digit home runs, but you're going to need – impact around him because he's not an impact offensive player. So he's a serviceable guy. But but Hap is a veteran 
uh, who has postseason pedigree uh, and who could give you some assurance that he's got predictability where Wheeler doesn't really have predictability. That predictability has real value down the stretch. You're, you're kind of dreaming a bit with Wheeler, and you've got predictability for a guy like Hap. And so, you know, you might get a – like, here's the thing. The Hap deal for the Yankees was a tremendous deal for Brian Cashman. It caused no pain. He got a starter that could be part of his postseason rotation, and, and usually when you do that at the deadline, you feel some pain for what you gave up. It was a completely pain-free trade. I mean, Billy McKinney wasn't going to do anything for the Yankees and their outfield with all the guys that they have. He was a non-factor. And honestly, with Andujar's emergence, Turek was a non-factor. He didn't factor anymore. He was just he was protection in case somebody went down. So he gave up backups for a, an impact guy. So, so you look at him as better than that. For Brian Cashman, those were backup players. They weren't, they weren't impact guys for him. They weren't starters on a first-division team. They were starters on a second-division team. Steve, give me a couple of quickies before we let you go. Uh, give me what it's going to take to get Real Muto. I mean, I don't know if the Marlins are really going to deal him. I know the Nats are asking about that. I was saying that the Mets, if they're going to be aggressive here, figure out a way. I don't care if it takes Rosario or Nimmo. Figure out a way to get Real Muto. What would it take for the Marlins to part with JT Real Muto? Oh, it's going to take uh, – I mean, here's the thing. They wanted uh, – in the spring, they wanted Soto and Robles from the Nationals. So Victor Robles, their top prospect, and then that other prospect who turned out who's turned out to be a superstar in the big league uh, is in Soto is is the other guy that wanted the deal. Hmm. Uh, so it's going to take you know it's a Nimmo uh, and Rosario. It's a Nimmo. It's a Conforto and and uh, Nimmo. It's a it's a it's a huge deal. Uh, now I personally think that they should make their move now. Uh, and move uh, move Real Muto. Uh, I think they should move Bear Claw. I think that they shouldn't worry about uh, any of it now. They should get whatever they can for guys at peak value. But I don't I don't think the Mets have a legitimate ability to make because once you do that, you've you've wiped your system out completely. And what they need to do is to continue to replenish the system while trying to compete at the major league level to 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 empty it to try to compete. And then and then fall short because you need a lot more than Real Muto, put you in a bad spot. So I, look, I, the Mets are in a tough spot. They're stuck in between. They either have to completely gut it and, and rebuild it, or they're going to have to spend beyond any level of comfort that they have. Hope that it turns into winning, and then they chase breaking even instead of budgeting to break even and hoping that it works. Because, you know, that's typically the plan, is budget to break even. If we win, we make money. If we lose, we cut our losses with trades at the deadline and try to get back to breaking even. They've got to spend beyond making money and then hope that it works. And then if not, cut it like heck, see if you can't make trades, get, you know, cut back and, and, and try to go that route. But they're kind of stuck in between, and, and you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't for where they are. Yeah, and I don't want to hear that. And I don't think any Met fan wants to hear that. What I want to hear is go out there and fix this thing. I mean, I don't care if you get them. Look, they have to do a combination of both. Draft and develop. Get creative with bringing in some trades and obviously free agents. And there's no excuse, Steve. There's no reason. You look across town, the Yankees, they lose Aaron Judge for three weeks. They're going to go out there and get another bat. The Yankees need a starter. They go get it. They need a bullpen arm. They go get it and add to the already three all-stars that they have at the back end of the pen. Mets need a superstar. They need more than that, as you mentioned. They got to go do it. I mean, Machado, Harper, no reason why they shouldn't be in on these guys 
plus more, Kimbrel or whatever. And again, not just about spending, but about getting creative, which is why I brought up Real Muto, or you could bring up others. They need multiple avenues to try to bring in some good ball players here. Yeah, they, they do. Uh, now, the, where the Yankees have had success, and they've made a nice run of it, and just when it looked like they might fall outside of that circle, there's this vicious circle that goes around where your business plan feeds your baseball plan, your baseball plan feeds your business plan, and you keep that money making and reinvesting, and it works. The Yankees got close to where they got in trouble, and Brian Cashman did an amazing job at the same time getting the business plan back in line and sparking the baseball part of it. Uh, Amazing job. The Mets' business plan and baseball plan are out of sync right now. The baseball isn't successful enough to feed the business side of it, and and then therefore the business side of it isn't going all that well to then spend money on the baseball side of it. And so they've got to find a way to either replenish with young kids to get the baseball side going while the business plan isn't making as much money to start to win again and generate. Now, when they won back in 2015, they had all those young kids, right? They had all the young kids on the, the pitching staff. It was an affordable team, but it got out of sync again. And now they've got to try to find to get both of those circles going around at the same time so that they can feed each other. Uh, and you might have to jumpstart it by spending more money than you want to hope that the baseball plan gets kickstarted to then feed the business plan. Or you tear it all down, start over again, pare down the payroll, go with young kids. You're going to lose. You know you're not going to make money, but you're not spending a lot and hope that your young kids can rebuild it. Those are the two choices. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate the time as always. All right, you got it. My pleasure.